Hey everyone, it's Pacific, and welcome back to SCP. I promise one of these days I will change up my little opening bits, but I don't know. Welcome back. I like it. Uh, what's new? God, what isn't new? Um, a lot of things happening in October. The first is Creepy's 31 Days of Horror. It is 31 days, two stories a day, every day of October, and that kicks off this weekend. If you want to listen to all 31 days, all 62 stories, and so many hours of blood, sweat, and tears from John and myself, you can find all of that over on Creepy. And you can find Creepy, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, what else is happening? A bunch of other things. Uh, oh gosh, we have uh, The Dead coming out end of October. Um, Class of 76 coming out October 19th, starring Brian David Gilbert and some original music from The Blasting Company. Uh, so much more. It's such a busy season. Uh, Mayfair Watcher Society Season 2 is coming back. Um, I don't have a date for that yet, but soon. Sooner than you think, maybe. Maybe a new episode next Tuesday, October 3rd. Uh, who knows? Anything could happen. Um, but with that all said and done... Uh, I got two things for you. First, a list of patrons, and then a shiny new episode. Uh, but first, I want to give a huge shout out to the patrons joining us this week, including Lucas Antoni, The Ornery Fox, Charles Roth, Nicholas Downey, Becca Oler, Daniel Jacobson, Haley, Laura Martin, Taylor Mitchell, and Walter, stylized in all caps. Thanks for joining us, guys. You make this show possible. Up next, a short message from our sponsors, and then this week's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark, the highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. Warning. The Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions, and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. 
A time will come when men will stretch out their eyes. They should see planets like our Earth. Christopher Wren The following document is classified level 3, confidential. Item number SCP-7999. Containment class Euclid. Secondary class integrated. Disruption class 1, dark. Risk class 1, notice. Special containment procedures. As SCP-7999 has already resulted in a partial lifted veil scenario, Foundation efforts are to focus on declassifying the phenomenon and integrating individual instances of SCP-7999-3 into general society. These integration efforts are under the purview of Site-120's Integration Committee. Likewise, Foundation, Diplomatic, and Communications groups are to maintain positive relations between SCP-7999 society and humanity. No personnel are permitted to approach SCP-7999-1 without express approval from the O5 Council. All instances of SCP-7999-3 passing through SCP-7999-1 must be cataloged in an official record of arrivals and departures. Description SCP-7999 refers to the following interconnected anomalies. A wormhole that manifested approximately 405,000 kilometers from Earth on March 6th 2027. This wormhole links the solar system to GN711, a galaxy within the Ursa Major constellation located approximately 32 billion light years from Earth. Thus far, all attempts to pass through this wormhole have failed. SCP 7999 2, the exoplanet GN 667 CC, visible on the other side of SCP 7999 1. SCP-7999-2 is approximately 250 kilometers from the wormhole as it appears within its local system. SCP-7999-2 is approximately the same size as the planet Mars, with a gravitational force of 0.364, that of Earth's. SCP-7999-2 maintains an atmospheric composition comparable to Earth's during the Carboniferous period. SCP-7999-2 is largely aquatic, with approximately 85% of the planet's surface covered in liquid water. Details regarding the planet's surface are undergoing further research. SCP-7999-3, an intelligent civilization native to SCP-7999-2, known locally as Caridids. SCP-7999-3 have successfully attained Type 2 on the Kardashev scale, a feat humanity is expected to achieve in approximately 10,000 years at the current rate of technological development. SCP-7999-3 individuals range in size from 1 to 1.3 meters tall. They are hexapetal arthropods superficially similar to insects from the order Mantidae with enlarged craniums. Their front limbs are capable of serving as both legs and arms, with a three-fingered structure at the end, analogous to the human hand. 
current distance approximately 655,000 kilometers. We truly are not alone. Are they like us? No, not at all. Fascinatingly, we bear few, if any, similarities. But such a thing does not matter. This discovery is a culmination of a lifetime. No, several lifetimes of work. Now we finally see. Now we finally know we are truly not alone in this universe. So what do we do next? Do we send them a message? Or do we wait for them to speak first? Too many questions. Permit me to work. Addendum 7999.1 Discovery SCP-7999-1 manifested approximately 405,000 kilometers from Earth between the orbits of Earth and Venus. Due to its size and proximity to Earth, SCP-7999-1 was visible to the naked eye across the northern hemisphere and parts of the southern hemisphere. The Foundation immediately attempted to control the spread of SCP-7999-1 information by media control. The deployment of aerosolized amnestics and targeted memetics to remove humanity's ability to view SCP-7999-1 entirely. Investigation into SCP-7999-1 followed. Within 12 hours of SCP-7999-1's initial manifestation, a series of five messages were rapidly broadcast across global radio networks. The Foundation employed Rosetta.AIC to translate the messages. After 22 days of analysis by Rosetta.AIC, the messages were successfully translated. All messages received translated to the following. Hello? Are we heard? Does this world think? Addendum 7999.3, April 3rd, 2027. We had been staring at the message on Rosetta's screen for nearly half an hour in complete silence. It had become a repetitive practice at this point, visiting this room to see if Rosetta had finally cracked the code. We knew she was able. We knew that such a thing was possible in theory, but neither Ashworth nor I really expected her to come through. Then, there it was. A message in plain English from an alien civilization. Ashworth was the first to speak. That's all they said? I've run all of these messages through Rosetta more times than I can count. And this is all I'm getting back. Rosetta has a 99% confidence rating. And the only reason it isn't perfect is because of some errors made back when she first went online. I'm pretty confident in this translation. That's a lot of characters for such a short statement. What do the O5s have to say about it? Initially, flipped their shit about the fact that suddenly the entire planet's population could see an anomaly just sitting there in the sky. This could have took a few hours for the message to come in, because from what I heard, they spent the time arguing over whether to knock out everyone on the planet and throw an anti-memetic shield over the Earth to keep pretending it wasn't there. Yeah, but what about now? Well, it's why they came to me, and why I'm talking to you. We spoke for a bit. Uh, well, I guess it's more accurate to say that I talked them off the ledge. I reminded them about Site-120's efforts 
and that seemed to convince most of them to try something different. And maybe even integrate them into our world. That's, uh, surprisingly magnanimous of them. Ugh, I'd regale you with the entire conversation, but honestly, it really wasn't that interesting. You know, as well as I do, that times are changing, Ashworth. The work you've all done here at 120 is proof that we can actually start taking these steps to lift the veil, bit by bit. We're hitting the point where maybe, just maybe, humanity can stand to know the anomalous exists. Well, if the O5 has approved it, then I'm all for it. Let's draft a response. Hello. Let's talk. After a series of messages transmitted and received through Rosetta.AIC, the native civilization of SCP-7999-2 agreed to send a representative to meet with the Foundation. Due to humanity's inability to cross through SCP-7999-1, the SCP-7999-2 representatives agreed to meet at the Foundation site on Earth. To ease the process of integration, the Foundation Integration Committee began declassifying initial SCP-7999 findings to world governments and the general public. On April 3, 2027, two representatives from SCP-7999-2 arrived at Foundation Site-120. Each individual came equipped with specialized suits that allowed them to survive under Earth's environmental conditions. With their express consent, Foundation personnel installed Rosetta.AIC into each suit to facilitate communication efforts. A record of interactions between Foundation agent Basil Sias and SCP-7999-3 is transcribed below. For several days, we sent messages back and forth across the wormhole to one another with Rosetta as our translator. They were eager to talk. After receiving our initial response, they sent hello back seven times in rapid succession. The conversations were extremely basic. They wanted to know what we called ourselves, what our world was, what kind of life we were, and we asked the same in kind. Only so much can be accomplished through messages, however, so eventually we agreed to meet one another. They sent an envoy, two members of their species held in high regard. We met them with a hazmat team at first to ensure they were properly decontaminated before our meeting could start. They arrived wearing specialised suits that allowed them to survive in Earth's atmosphere and we took the opportunity to install a copy of Rosetta into both to facilitate communication. I was worried the meeting would be tense or that we wouldn't know where to start. As soon as I entered, however, I was immediately rushed by one of their envoys who immediately began grabbing and tugging at my face. It kneaded at my cheeks and brushed its fingers through my beard, all with this sense of abject wonder and fascination. I was worried the meeting would be tense, or that we wouldn't know where to start. As soon as I entered, however, I was rushed by one of their envoys who immediately began grabbing and tugging at my face. It kneaded at my cheeks, it brushed its fingers through my beard, all with this sense of abject wonder and fascination. Oh, Ketadanko, look! Whoa! Uh, hello! The limb is firm with, with some sort of solid internal skeletal structure. Uh, nice to meet you as well. The other joined in, tugging at my hair. 
They vocalised to one another with chittering, clattering sounds and stomped their front legs. I mouthed a quiet, Save me! to Ashworth, who simply smiled in response. Truly fascinating. To think a furred animal could be capable of thought, and only four limbs! On behalf of the SCP Foundation, I would like to formally welcome you both to planet Earth. Uh, we do have a lot to discuss, so I ask that you two go ahead and join us at the table, and, uh, let go of Agent C.S. Don't worry, you can start tugging at his face again in a minute. Ashworth shot me a slightly uncomfortable smirk as the two continued their poking and prodding, now focused on my arms. I flipped him the bird. Before we begin, what should we call you? Right now, our documentation refers to you as SCP-799-3-A and -B, respectively, but honestly, that's impersonal. They ask for names? Very well. I'm called Katadanka. I'm called Cardigan. They continued chittering back and forth to one another as Ashworth attempted to maintain control. Thank you both. Now then, you were the ones who sent those messages, correct? That was myself, to be particular. While Kartikan was part of the team involved, I sent the message. Us... We are filled with joy that your species were able to respond. Rosetta struggled to translate tone, even between familiar human languages. Even with that limitation, I could tell Ketadanka was uncomfortable to some degree. It seemed stiff, overly formal. Despite that discomfort and formality, it was still more than willing to analyse me like a science experiment. In the moment, I couldn't help but imagine a board meeting full of these guys talking business, rubbing their hands over one another. This is an amazing opportunity for us as well. Though, we do have to ask you to clarify your intentions. The portal was opened between our worlds, and our opportunity to speak was presented. We have sent our message to many planets over the ages, but yours was the first to respond. We wish to meet. The species here is the first one like us we have ever seen. I have been looking at this world from a distance since the portal opened, and wish to see what this planet holds, what the people here have created. So, are you hoping for a cultural exchange, then? Whatever it is that can be shown to us. We want to learn and share in return while we still have time. With the wormhole where it is, we can't really hide you guys from the world. Nor should we. I think this is something we could both benefit from. We've been working towards pulling back the veil bit by bit, but... Veil? Ah, <laughs> a technical term. It's what we call the separation between humanity, our species, and that we can't explain with science. We are not sure we understand. I'm sure our representative can explain once we start. As I was saying, though, that wormhole effectively tore the veil down in a night. While we could hide you away from the world, there's no real benefit to that for either of us. A cultural exchange is probably the best way for us to start understanding and introducing your society to our own. I'm all for it. This is news that fills us with joy. We've already chosen Kartikan as the one who will represent us, if that is acceptable. That's perfectly acceptable. Now, we're more than willing to show Kartikan around. Basil. Yep, I can take point there. I reached out a hand to Kartikan. It gazed back, 
Though it didn't emote the same way we did, I could tell it was confused. It reached its own hand out after a moment, and I grasped it in my own. Kartekin recoiled, yanking me into the table. I winced, pausing for a moment to catch my breath, before laughing. <laughs> Here, we can use this as our first cultural exchange. This is a handshake. I held my hand out once more. We use it to say hello. Kartekin once again reached out its hand with hesitation, and I took it in my own. Kartekin flinched as I began to shake, before returning the gesture with equal vigor. Current distance, approximately 550,000 kilometers. Yes? Is there a problem? Those coordinates are in a fairly compromising spot, no? Yes, I'm aware of the risks involved here. That being said, is this truly an opportunity we can pass by? After all this time? I suppose it is not. We need to understand. This is not about pure scientific curiosity. It is a culmination of millions of lifetimes of work. Something that can finally allow us to die peacefully, knowing that life lives on, out there, on the other end of the universe. To know that something will live on after we are gone. I want to know them as much as anyone else here does. But is this course of action truly worth the risk? It has to be. Site 120. What is it we are to see first? To be completely honest, it's difficult to really decide where to begin. Humanity is not a monolithic species. There are a myriad of cultures and societies to show you, and each will be different. I've got approval to take you off-site, so the world is our oyster. Kartekin chittered in response, rubbing its forelegs together. Forearms? I hadn't really figured out what to call the upper limbs where their hands were. At this point, I had seen Kartekin walking using all six appendages, and trying to figure out analogous biology was proving to be a struggle. Huh? Is something wrong? The voice that translates the words. I do not understand what it spoke. I understood world and hour, but... What is oyster? And what does such a statement mean? Right, right, sorry. I probably should avoid using idioms. The world is our oyster just means we're in a position to take advantage of the opportunities life has to offer us. Humans have a lot of little expressions like that. Oh, so this oyster means great opportunity. I could say that communications between our worlds is our oyster. Kartekin chittered again, this time bobbing his whole body up and down. <laughs> um, Ketadanka was asking about the veil earlier, right? This is correct. We were not understanding what was being described by Ashworth. Science can explain anything with enough time, can it not? For example... Science can explain why humans have a skeleton inside their bodies instead of outside. Certainly there is nothing here that cannot be explained with study. I have something to show you first that might help a bit. Current distance, approximately 480,000 kilometers. It is done. It is done. There they are. It is... beautiful. Addendum 7999.4, April 4th, 2027. Site 120. 
So what does this word veil mean? Ah, by that we mean the veil of secrecy, what we at the foundation hide from the world. Kartekin once again made that chittering sound, rubbing its appendages together. Did, did your people never hide away the things you couldn't understand? This is correct. What is being hidden away? Well, there are certain rules to how the universe operates, right? Certain immutable truths that never change. Take this apple, for instance. I grabbed an apple off someone's desk as we walked by. It could be here, or it could be on your planet. Um, what did you call it? Nest is our home's name. Right. It could be here, or on Nest. But if I do this, I drop the apple, and we watched as it hit the ground and rolled away. It will fall. Gravity is one of those constants, right? But what if something broke that rule? What if I dropped the apple and it floated away? We would need to catch it, so it would not leave. <laughs> While that's true, that's not all there is to it. We would step in and we would hide it away. That's what the veil is for, to keep the things that break the rules of the world away from the public eye. Why? I wish I had an answer for that. The Foundation's mission is secure, contain and protect. There's plenty of things here that are here for a good reason. Things that would hurt a lot of people if we let them out. There's also a lot of things here that I... We wish we didn't keep secret to begin with. That's part of why Site-120 has been working on the integration project. I stopped as we arrived at our destination. It was one of Site-120's classrooms, a school for the younger anomalous humanoids on site. There were about 23 students in the room, of varying shapes and sizes. Some could pass as your average 13-year-old, while others were barely recognisable as human. Each paid close attention to the Foundation agent at the front of the room, giving a lecture on global history. This is what I wanted to show you. This is a classroom, and there are places like this all over the world. There where we take our young and teach them almost everything they need to know about being human. This one is different though. Can you guess why? They are all what is referred to as anomalous, yes? Right! Most of these kids have never left Site-120. Those that have were only outside as little kids and barely remember it. They're all here for different reasons, too. That one there? She's here because she can light fires with her mind. That boy over there? Only here because he can summon a monster with a storybook. What is it that they all have on their tables? Huh? Oh, those are books. Please, tell me you guys had books at some point in your history. Books? Yes, I believe so. Many, many years ago, long before I was born. Things with words inscribed in them, yes? Though I don't recall them looking like that. Well, no matter what they look like, the same basic idea is there. These are things with words in them to pass on knowledge to the next generation. We sat in silence, watching the class. At one point, the teacher directed the students to work on some group activity, with each student getting up and moving tables together. One student was left alone in the corner of the room for a moment, until they were invited to join another group of kids... Kartekin hung its head, its wings vibrating. Is something wrong? No, 
I am merely thinking. I was going to ask if all humans had such wondrous abilities, but the truth that some are kept here while others are not answers the question. Why have we come here first? These kids are like you guys over on Nest. Part of the first anomalies that get to go past the veil and join society at large. They're wonders, and wonders that finally get to see the rest of the world now that you are here. Kartekin tapped its front two legs rhythmically. I see, I see. What are we to see together next? Oh, there's a lot of world out there. But let's start with something simple. Addendum 7999.5, April 5th, 2027. Your flying machine was exceptional. Such a strange design. Simplistic, yet effective. What did the people call it again? An airplane. Oh. The word does not translate, so I cannot pronounce it. I will simply call it the flying machine. Tell me more about it. I smiled. Kartekin had been like this all night. Every little thing seemed to amaze it, from the intricate machinery of the plane itself to the fabric on the seats. I honestly felt like I was with a kid. It was hard to believe that the being in front of me was from a technologically superior civilization. When did the people of this world create these machines? It must have taken such a long time. Well, the first successful flight was in 1903, a little over 120 years ago, though it wasn't until 1914 that the first commercial flights happened. Uh, does that help? It is challenging to understand the timeline. Our worlds do not have the same metrics. From our understanding, this planet is very slow to orbit its star. Nest is not. Nest orbits quickly and does not rotate as this world does. Well, we define a day here as a 24-hour cycle. So, take that flight we had, for example. That flight was about three hours, give or take a few minutes. A day is 24 hours, so we could repeat that flight eight times and we'd have a full day. Following so far? It chittered in response and wiggled its fingers. I had to assume that meant yes. A year is about 365 days. If we had that flight uh, 2,920 times, it would be a full year. Kartekin stopped in place, twitching its head back and forth with its arms held up. After a moment, it dropped its arms and opened its mouth. 120 years is... Yeah, it's a long time. No, that is no time at all. The species here was able to master flight in such a short period of time? That period is so short that Sias must have hardly aged since then. Oh, I, um, wasn't alive yet. I'm only 37 years old. Kartekin stopped walking once more and flailed its arms about wildly, chittering. <gasps> then Sias is but an infant. A child. So this is how Sias knew so much about the school. Kartekin, if we translated your age to Earth years, how old would you be? 1,743 years. I'm aware I am very young, but please do not see me as unfit to be the envoy of my people. We finally left the airport, about to step into public for the first time. 
I shielded my eyes against the sun as I looked out across the city. It was still early, so the streets were fairly empty. While we weren't trying to keep Kartekin secret, it was best to stay low profile. Kartekin, see that group of people over there? Yes, I see five people. If you added up the ages of everyone in that group, they wouldn't even equal to half your age. You lie. Certainly they are not all so young. Is the species composed of nothing but children and infants? You know, you figure out all the math questions and esoteric hypotheticals I give you pretty quick. So, I'm surprised you haven't figured it out yet. Kartekin, those are adults. I'm an adult. Humans don't live much past 80 years on average. By this point, I was starting to understand its physical mannerisms. Kartekin's reaction to this information could be best described as visceral disbelief. As though I had told a three-year-old that Elmo wasn't real. It flailed nearly every limb, with each appendage moving about in what would appear to be random motions to a casual observer. Those who were paying attention, however, would notice the specificity to each motion, each arm and leg moving very intentionally to convey meaning. Kartekin's people were as non-verbal as they were verbal, communicating with a language that no translator would ever catch. It's true. I'm not here to lie to you or trick you. You are clearly long-lived, which isn't too shocking considering you orbit a red dwarf. Humans, however, are fleeting. We're here and gone in an instant. That moving vehicle there. How long ago did this species create it? Uh, 1886. About 141 years ago. The light's powered by electricity. 1879. 148 years ago. The species, how long has it existed? Ooh, now that's a good question. We don't really know for certain, but our rough estimates say about 200,000 years ago. Kartekin was silent once more, body completely still. When it finally moved, it was to glance over the city and watch the sunrise. Kartekin's eyes followed the cars as they passed, watching people as they crossed the streets. There are so many of you. And it's early. Most are still asleep. I must see more. Show me more. Hey everyone, Pacific here with an ad break and a reminder. For just $5 a month, you can get access to ad-free and bonus episodes on our Patreon at patreon.com slash scp underscore pod. There's also a link to our Patreon in the show notes below. And now, a quick message from our sponsors. All right, so you guys know that I've been trying to lose weight lately. You know, I've been yeah. kind of uh, on the bigger side for most of my life, but I've, I've been able to drop a lot of weight because I've been trying to eat healthier. You look good. Th- thank you. you the problem good. is is Wonderful. I can't cook at all. Like, I'm basically going to just make, I've like... I've tasted your food. I don't know if you guys ever heard of factor meals before. Yeah. No. Okay, so factor meals, it's like these easy, ready-to-eat meals that they'll send to your house. I'm oh, sure nice. you've heard of services that do this yes, type yes, of Yes, 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 yes. Where sure. they send food, and it's this... What I actually really liked about factor is it's like, it has to be kind of idiot proof for me because I can't cook or do anything, but it's like ready in two minutes. It literally comes 
everything together. You don't have to like make anything. Wrap? It's it's all put together in its own thing. Two minutes. It's not frozen, which actually makes it awesome. Oh, nice. You know, the frozen food. Yeah. It comes like in a box. It's like chilled, like yeah. with chill the cooling stuff. But uh, you got all kinds. So I did the keto one, but they also have like calorie smart protein plus. They've even got like, so my wife ended up really liking these, these like energy shots. Okay. That they put, they put in the box that we ordered where she, it's literally like just a little shot of different kinds of energy shots that were awesome that sounds amazing was, i always was like i'd see these commercials or i'd hear commercials for stuff but i thought factor meal seemed like something that was really threading that needle and would have been really really perfect for me but dude they had like pancakes smoothies you who know, doesn't love pancakes dinners and stuff like that yeah. so they have breakfast they got like midday snacks and I, so i thought it was like perfect. get it in get it done yeah. boom if you're just looking for yeah. like fast premium options and you don't have to really cook or be able to do anything sure factor is awesome for that kind of stuff and i thought the in the quality of the meals restaurant quality meals that i just could like heat and eat dude so it's not like you're you know your frozen stuff you get at the grocery store so if you guys want to try factor meals i'd say go for it because it's really helped me out and i i was actually really surprised all you guys have to do is head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 that's five zero to get 50% off that's code badmovies50 at factormeals.com slash badmovies50 to get 50% off guys give it a try that's half I know pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the show. Current Distance. Approximately 460,000 kilometers. How long do you think they've existed? Can we not just ask? Yes, but I wanted to speculate with someone else first. Consider it scientific inquiry. I would suppose, based on their level of development, at least one million or so years? It is hard to tell for sure since we are at such different levels of development. But I think that is a safe guess based on what we know. Impressive. Like what was said prior, we can simply ask. They have been speaking with us for some time now. Should I send them a message? That is not the question I wish to ask. Can we ask to meet them? I wish to know them better. I want to see what wonders they've created with my own eyes. Barcelona, Spain. What is this place? Parque de la Ciutadella. It's one of the larger green spaces in the city. I used to take my daughter here all the time, so I figured you might enjoy seeing it as well. There's a zoo to see some native earth life, some architecture. I was cut off by Kartekin rushing off toward a nearby tree. It was a young palm, likely recently planted based on how easily Kartekin could reach its fronds. It took a frond in its hand and gently ran a finger over it before turning back to me. Kartekin's eyes remained fixed on me for a moment before it looked back to the frond. I walked over. This vegetation? It is similar to something we have on Nest. Really? Yes, though not the same colour and it does not hurt my hands when I touch it. Kartekin raised its eyes, skittering over to another tree. Yet this one is completely different. 
I've never seen such structures like this on vegetation. That's a maple tree, I think. Those things you're rubbing at there are leaves. Kartekin fell silent. At first I thought something was wrong, until I noticed that a praying mantis had crawled from the tree and onto its hand. Its eyes fixated on the small bug. Things here are so similar, yet so vastly different at the same time. How can it be? A planet on the other side of the universe with such similarities. Who can say? Pure chance? A wonder of existence. A creature like any other caridid of our world, and yet... Kartekin moved the mantis to its other hand. Do you think, creature, are you like us? Sorry, but you probably won't get anything from it. There are a few things that can speak on Earth, but the only ones you're likely to meet out here are the humans. Kartekin placed the mantis back onto the leaf. Even if there are others who can think, how lonely it must have been. Hmm? What do you mean by that? How lonely it must have been to be stuck to this planet, alone in your galaxy. I wasn't entirely sure how to respond. We stood in silence, watching the mantis walk across the leaf. This tree was one I'd walked by many times before. Not something I ever paid much mind to. Most of the population couldn't even name it if you asked. In our silence, however, I put myself in Kartekin's place. I looked at the leaves on the tree, taking in the fact that each wasn't a uniform shade of green. Some were pale, almost yellow, while others were vibrant, dark green. Some leaves held small insects, while others were still unfurling, having only grown recently. I plucked off a leaf and handed it to Kartekin. Kartekin took it and held it up to its eyes. It was a strange sight. An advanced species marvelling over a leaf like a kid. I smiled as we moved on. Current distance, approximately 460,000 kilometers. How have things been so far? Honestly, words cannot describe it. They really are like us in many ways, but at the same time... They're almost like children. I appreciate the things they seem so easily impressed by, but they don't seem to realize the true wonders of this universe. I'm trying to show them, but they seem preoccupied with the simple things. Different perspectives. Just remember where we come from and where they come from. Our experiences shape what is important to each of us. While I'm speaking, I need to ask... We have noticed, yes? Yes. I have been monitoring the distance between both planets. How much longer? Unsure as of right now. We still have time, but not as much as I would like. Just be ready. <sighs> How cruel the universe can be to present us this opportunity. And then rip it away in an instant. Addendum 7999.6, April 6th, 2027, Barcelona, Spain. 
What is that strange structure called? It's a holy site. It's called La Sagrada Familia. A place of worship, then? It's non-traditional, but yes. It was under construction for over a hundred years. Though, I guess that's not really impressive to you guys, is it? Why is it shaped that way? It is very different from the other buildings I have seen so far. Kartekin raised his finger and traced the structure's outline in the air. Oh, well, ah... The only way to really explain that would involve explaining the history of church architecture. Let's just say it's for artistic reasons. It paused, listening to Rosetta translate my words. A familiar clicking of confusion followed. That word did not translate. Which word? Artistic? Yes, that is the word. What does it mean? Well, it's... Shit. How do I explain the concept of art? Do you all not have art on nests or something? I do not know. Oh, I guess you wouldn't. Right. Art is... Remember that leaf you stared at yesterday? The one with the mantis on it? Yes, I remember it very well. Would you say that leaf was beautiful? Beautiful? I suppose, yes, it was. Art is when you create something beautiful for other people to see. Ah, uh, but art can also be creating something ugly for people to see. Um, it's like a commentary on something in the world or society. Um, God, I'm not sure how to explain this. Uh, ah, take a look at the cathedral again. It's a work of art not just because it's pretty, but because of the history it represents. It's the work of dozens of architects combining their design in one massive collaboration. And it's a work that survived a civil war and disease. It's art because of what it represents, I guess. Oh. It was subtle. But Kartekin's body stiffened up ever so slightly at the mention of war and disease. Here, follow me. I've got a better place to show you. And we can talk religion while we walk. I led Kartekin away from the cathedral. A crowd had begun to gather, and I wasn't ready to start fielding questions about keratids to a group of tourists. We walked in silence for a few minutes, and Kartekin started asking questions again. We spoke about religion, how humans believed different things, and that there were no universal beliefs about God or the divine. Would it not be easier to believe in the same thing? Do these fundamental differences in thought not lead to conflict? Unfortunately, yes, it does lead to conflict. As I've said before, humanity is not monolithic. Considering its reaction to the last mention of war, I didn't elaborate further than that. Everything I've shown you here so far, it would be completely different, even just a few kilometers away in this same country. The further around the globe you move, the more different things are. Honestly, if I had to say, that's the greatest wonder of humanity. How different we all are. We arrived at our destination. A small art studio cafe combo in the Raval neighbourhood. I got us both a canvas and a set of paints and set up in the plaza outside. What is it I should do here? Simple. I'm going to paint you and I want you to paint me. Right. That word probably doesn't translate. 
No, that word is understood. Kartekin grabbed a brush and dipped it in paint. Next thing I knew, I had a stripe of blue down my arm. There. I have painted Sias. Is this what was called art? <laughs> I suppose it could be, depending on who you asked. I feel as if I am understanding art less and less the more we discuss it. Here, let me show you. Hold still, I'll be quick. Kartekin froze in place as I began sketching and painting on my canvas. When it was finished, I showed it the final product. Oh, it is me! It is! This is what I meant before by paint you. I recreated your image on the canvas. How does this make you feel? I feel joy. My hearts are beating with joy. This makes me feel... Significant. Good. Good. That's what art is. Art is something that makes people feel something or gets them talking. Could I make art? Or are only certain humans capable? Like I said earlier, depending on who you ask, you've already created art by putting blue paint on me. Real answer, though, anyone can be an artist. Give it a shot. Try painting me on your canvas. Kartekin grabbed the brush and paint once more. I sat still as it furiously painted with an intense expression on its face. Its arms were uncoordinated, and at many points it looked more like Kartekin was slapping the canvas with a brush rather than painting. But when it showed me the final product, it beamed with pride. You could hardly tell what the painting was supposed to represent, looking more like a haphazard splashing of colours that would make even the most abstract of contemporary artists blush. But Kartekin was pleased. Is this art? Am I an artist? Of course you are! This is wonderful work, Kartekin. Kartekin removed the canvas from its easel and handed it to me. Sias should keep this, a present from me, as a thanks for what it has done. I took the canvas and handed Kartekin mine in return. And you keep this, so you can remember when you started your art journey. We got up to leave, but Kartekin immediately became distracted by a group of people in the streets. What is this? Oh, right! I forgot they were doing a tango demonstration today. Someone turned on the music and people began pairing up. We watched the groups dance, moving about the plaza with coordinated steps and dips. This makes me feel... excitement. Is this art? It's dancing, which is a form of art, yeah. May we try as well? We? Those humans are paired in groups of two. Oh, right, right. Sure, I'll dance with you. But just a heads up, it's been a while since I last did this. We set our canvases aside and stepped out onto the plaza. I moved Kartekin in front of me, placing one of its hands on my hip and holding the other out. I had Kartekin place its front legs on my feet in order to help guide it through the steps. We began moving in a clumsy approximation of the other dancers. Sias is warm. Is something wrong? No, it's just... I spun Kartekin and led it into a dip. It was light. Its barely three-foot frame easily moved about. You remind me of my daughter. We used to go dancing like this all the time when she was little. About your size, actually. You humans are quite large. Well, I am taller than most, if that makes you feel better. A crowd had begun to gather to watch the display. Despite our clumsy, uncoordinated movements, 
It felt as if most eyes were on us. You remind me of her in a lot of ways, actually. She was always so curious about the world, stopping to admire every flower we passed in the park, always asking why things were the way they were. So many questions. And my husband and I never felt like we had all the answers. I spun Kartekin once again. Even now I feel like I don't have the answers. But that's fine. These moments are special. And I'm glad for the opportunity to share them with you. CR sounds sad when talking about the child. Did something happen? <laughs> I guess I am talking like she's dead. No, she's just grown up now. Off living her own life. I'm not sad either, I'm just... Nostalgic, is all. I took a wide step and dipped Kartekin once more, before one final spin. I let go of its hands and bowed. After a moment of confusion, it bowed in return. It had hardly been an impressive display, but the gathered crowd cheered for us nonetheless. Current distance, approximately 410,000 kilometers. Anything new to report? I am trying to find ways to describe it all that does not repeat what I have already said. I am learning so much here. Yes, in many ways they are well behind us, but they have and do things I never thought possible. There are concepts I have learned that I cannot even explain in ways that make sense. Things I have yet to understand myself. They will not be behind us for that much longer. We have seen the pace they are moving at, yes? They will be at our level in but a moment. We are lucky to have met one another. I just wish... There was more time? Addendum 7999.7 April 7th 2027. Nest. Current distance. Approximately 380,000 kilometers. Yes. That is why I am being contacted, yes? That is correct. The current projections are inconsistent as to what exactly will happen, but they all spell out some level of disaster for both of our people. Then might I make a request? Of course. May I bring Sias to us? Are we certain that is the correct choice? Let humans see our world before it's too late for both of us. Very well. Kartekin surprised me in my room the next morning. It insisted that we go to its homeworld right away. I was confused, to be honest. There's still so much to see here, I remember saying. It had hardly been a week, but Kartekin wouldn't take no for an answer. It spoke with a sense of urgency that couldn't be ignored. So we loaded up onto the shuttle alongside Ketadanka the only thing that could pass through the other side. And we left. Frankly, I expected more when passing through the portal. I had grown up on the classic sci-fi movies, after all. Something inside me was expecting this flashy jump to hyperspace as I'm pressed against the seat, holding on for dear life. It wasn't anything momentous at all. By all means, it wasn't any different than a trip to the moon. By that, I mean no jumps, no sudden shifts in momentum... We were simply just... there. In the blink of an eye, I was on the other side of the universe. It was a small solar system. No more than maybe five planets orbiting a red dwarf. I didn't get much time to really take it all in though, as we arrived at Nest within an hour. Much sooner than I expected, but their tech was vastly superior to our own. We settled down somewhere on Nest and the shuttle doors opened. 
It was so familiar. We landed on a beach with white sand not unlike our own. In the distance, I could see a myriad of shrubby plants sporting dark red and orange leaves that transitioned to black near their centre. Even the sky above felt familiar. Aside from their sun appearing as a massive pale orb in the sky, the sky itself wasn't unlike the Earth's sky during a sunset. I could see our portal hanging in the sky. On the other side, the pale blue dot that I called home. Please, come with us. There's so much to show you and not much time. I nodded and followed. We entered into what I could best describe as a forest or a jungle. It was difficult to judge the climate in my suit. This is Nest, our home. The only one we have ever known. You never colonized other worlds? We attempted it on many occasions. Our needs are very specific, and most planets we found were unsuitable. Planet Earth shouldn't be able to host life at all based on our calculations. It is not tidally locked, and the atmosphere is so thin. Likewise, it is so far from its host star that it does not receive the amount of solar energy that is required to support life. It is a miracle humanity exists, and even more so that humanity is advanced. <laughs> I guess this is the point where I assert the opposite, huh? By our calculations, there's no way your planet should support life. They paused, clicking to one another. It looked like they wanted to say something in response, but both remained silent as we moved into what appeared to be a city of some kind. The structures were low to the ground and rounded. Most were overtaken by native flora, in some cases nearly indistinguishable from the terrain. They were all built with a sense of purpose. There were no decorative elements or patterning on them. As we walked, I couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. It was also... quiet. Aside from Kartekan and Ketadanka, I didn't see any other Kerides present. I wanted to ask, but a solemn look from Kartekan told me enough. I was eventually led to a massive structure. It looked like several of the smaller ones had been stuck together without much sense for organisation or purpose. The wall manifested a door that slid open as we approached. From there, I was led to a large room filled with alien technology. Some of it was vaguely familiar. Screens, buttons, dials. None had a clear purpose to my eyes, but there was a sense of familiarity nonetheless. Others were utterly foreign, composed of metal bars and wires that looked ready to electrocute me or chop off a limb if I got too close. This is also where we finally saw other keridids. A small group of no more than six that huddled around us with chirps and clicks. They eyed me with a hungry curiosity. There were no chairs, so I leaned myself against the safest looking place I could find. Kartekin finally spoke. Sias has many questions, yes? Please ask them. Oh, God! Uh, uh, what was that stuff we walked through outside? Um, what is this place? Is this just, like, a small city, since there aren't many of your people here? I stopped myself from rattling off more. My brain was buzzing. Yes, what I expected. See, humanity is curious like us. The curiosity is just in the simple things. We should start with the simple questions. This is the largest city left on the planet. And what we saw outside are what remains of homes and businesses. Kartekin looked at me, waiting for me to interject. I remained silent. 
Sias does not have questions about that. No, actually. I think I know what's going on here. Remember back at the cathedral? Yes. I said the word war. It was subtle, but you stiffened up at that. That, with everything you just said and I just saw, well, it doesn't take much to piece it all together. Instead, I'll ask this. How many of you are left? They are all here. Eight. I counted this time, and there were eight Keridids in this room. It was hard to tell how old they were, but based on what Kartekan had told me prior about its age, it seemed safe to assume that most were as old, if not older than it. No others in this world? None. How long has it been? Kartekan is the youngest. It happened when it was freshly hatched from the nursery. And there haven't been any other kids since? The group chittered to one another, and Kartekan motioned for me to follow it. I was led to a section of the floor that descended deeper into the ground when we stood on it. It took us to a large cavern. Looking around, I could see the ground covered in large ovular objects, coloured a splotchy green. This is the nursery. It is where the eggs are kept, and where they hatch. There's easily over a hundred here. Correct. More specifically, there are 345 eggs here. Forgive my confusion then, but I just don't understand what the problem is. Neither do we. It has been one of our greatest sources of frustration and confusion for over a thousand years. Every single egg is viable, and it should not take more than two years for them to hatch. And yet... I kneeled down with a flashlight and shone it at one of the eggs. It was faint, but inside I could see a vaguely keratid-shaped silhouette. We've accepted extinction. You can't be serious. I am. We accepted it long ago, once the old began dying. Soon hundreds became dozens, and dozens became eight. What hope was there left for us? With all your technology, surely you can... Yes, please. We know. And I know that Sias knows as well. We have tried everything we can. We are not afraid. We accomplished our goal in the end. What was that goal? To meet another like us. Another capable of thought. From the beginning, we worshipped the idea that our planet was not alone. That despite how impossible life should be here... It existed regardless, and therefore there had to be another. Kartekin led me back to the elevator and back outside. We could see the stars. Foreign constellations whose light wouldn't reach Earth for millions of years. It was a nice dream early on. But we never really focused on it. We built up our society, began at home first... We learned of all the creatures that lived here, from the land to the ocean. Then began learning of those on other planets nearby. Oh. Mound, the world next in line in our system, had microbial life that never evolved beyond that. Filter, the world of gas beyond Mound, had makings of life, but nothing came of it. Nothing like us, 
nothing that could think. We began harvesting energy from our star, and used that to send groups out of our system. That's the kind of thing I wish we could do. But there are so many problems at home still to solve. Sia says that as if it was not the case here. We had problems at home, but our eyes were blind to them. Problems that I saw on Earth as well. There was something Sia said before. Humanity is not monolithic. We were not either, though not quite as diverse as Earth. Kartekin clicked, stomping its back legs. I do not wish to waste time describing the entire history of my people. Time is precious right now. Sias has already understood what happened. Once that passed, those of us who remained doubled our efforts. The portal technology was created once we focused all efforts on finding another out there. And we began peering across the universe. Kartekin pointed at the stars as it spoke. Each star and system above was searched. All barren and empty. Nothing more than a few dying microbes. Fitting, I supposed, for a few dying specks of dust to find others. But you found us. We did. After two million years of existence, we finally found another like us. On their own impossible little world. I looked to the sky, fixing my eyes on the portal and the pale blue dot on the other side. Strangely enough, it didn't feel that far away. It almost looked like the moon in our own sky. But fate is cruel. Kartekin, you keep saying there isn't enough time. I didn't want to bother you about it, but there's something wrong, isn't there? Yes. You need to go home. Right now. Current distance. Approximately 340,000 kilometers. Kartikin, we are out of time. Any longer, a nest will be destroyed. Does it truly matter? Even staving off death now does not mean we stop what is coming. We die either way. Why can we not die here, knowing we've passed on our knowledge to another? Kartikin, such a thing is impossible. It does not only risk us, but them as well. It is all hypothetical, is it not? Just modules and simulations that cannot be proven for sure. We don't know what will happen. Artican. The knowledge gained from this exchange is invaluable. Something we will never get again if we cut it off now. There's still so much for them to see here. And so much for us to see there. Artican. There are so many concepts left to discuss things to learn. We have yet to speak on their belief systems or their history. There are so many nations to see. Sias has only seen this one city. There's still so much more of Nest to- Kartikan, enough! The simulations do not lie. If we do not close the portal, either Nest will be thrown through to be torn apart by Earth's gravity, or worse. It cannot be left open. Is it not possible to simply close it and reopen it in a safer place? Those were the final coordinates, Kartikan. The last person who knew how to enter in the new coordinates died years ago. This has been known. There are none left who know how to enter more. Once the portal closes, it's over. Then that's all the more reason Kartikan. I am just not ready to say goodbye. 
Addendum 7999.8, April 7th, 2027, Nest. Sias looked at me, its head cocked slightly to the side, an expression of confusion, one I had become very familiar with over the past days. Why all of a sudden? Is something wrong? Yes, I need to be honest. Our planets... ...have been slowly drifting towards each other the past few days. That's what you wanted to say, right? How did... The Foundation isn't dumb or ignorant, Kartekan. We've been monitoring the distance between our planets since the portal opened. It was pretty clear that you opened it between our orbital paths. And they aren't upset? Um, I can't say the higher-ups aren't upset about that. That said, there isn't a whole lot we can do about it. O5 wanted me to threaten you all to fix the problem, but that's not how I operate. Sias made that strange rhythmic sound it often did when it found something humorous. What happens next? I send Sias home. And the portal between our worlds is closed. No way to reopen it? No. Damn. We remained there in silence, staring at the stars above. We are so small, are we not? How so? We have searched every star we possibly can over our existence to find another like us. Many have died searching, hoping that there was something else out there. Dying never to know that there was. There was someone else. But even in knowing, we were only able to know them for such a short time. It might as well have never mattered. These moments were fleeting. And now they're over. You're right. We are small. And it would have been nice to have more time together. You know it better than we do, but the universe is vast beyond our comprehension. When we die, the stuff that makes us will return to the universe. We'll become the matter that makes up the next stars. Or even the next civilization. We become a part of that universe. Don't we? Sias rose to its feet. It reached out a hand to me. I took it in my own. This moment was fleeting. But we were lucky to have ever had it. And no goodbye is forever. So I won't say goodbye here. Instead, I'll say... I'll meet you in the stars. I will meet you in the stars. Sias left, returning to the headquarters where Ketadanka would take it home. I returned shortly after, but by the time I arrived, they had already left. One of the others who remained behind handed me something. A gift from Sias. Inside was a set of brushes and paints. While the others worked to close the portal, I returned to the cavern below with my gift. I laid the brushes out, and I began to paint. It wouldn't be a wonder, nothing like what I had seen on their planet. But it would be beautiful. I worked long into sleeping time, 
and into the next day, stopping only to eat. Sias would never see it. No one from Earth would. But it would be a memento of my times there. When it was finished, I sat my brushes down. There it was, my landscape of stars, with a caridid and a human looking to one another. I looked around and saw all the blank space that remained on the cave walls and began planning my next masterpiece. In the distance, I heard the sound of something cracking. Approximately 32 billion light years. Come find us. We'll be waiting. We'll be waiting. SCP Archives was created by Pacific S. Obadiah and John Grills. SCP-7999 was written by Ori Tiefling. Our script was by Kevin Whitlock. Our narrator was Chris Harris-Beachy. Sias was Vic Collins. Ketadanko was Kayla Temshiv. Cardican was B. Nar. Ashworth was Stephen Indrasano. Our theme song was done by Tom Rory Parsons. And our editor was Veronica California. Our showrunner was Kale Brown. And I'm your producer, Pacific S. Obadiah. Our executive producers are Tom Owen and Brad Miska. And this is a Bloody FM show. For more information, visit bloody.fm.